0: The Extremist Publishing Podcast is endorsed by Heart 200, Scotland's most exciting road trip. Find out more at heart200.scot. Welcome to the Extremist Publishing Podcast. I'm Tom Christie. It's my pleasure today to be joined by Dr Gay Mannering, MBE, who until recently was a Senior Lecturer in Education at the University of Dundee, a Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, and the author of, amongst other things, Waiting in the Wings, Letters of a Pilot in World War II. Gay, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Very happy to be here, Tom.
0: So what can you tell us about your book? Would you like to explain a little bit about the concept behind it?
1: Well, I suppose it started when I found a whole pile of letters written by my dad in the war. This was about two years after his death, and I think he had forgotten they were there, and I kind of wished i had been able to speak to him about them before he had died. But I found the letters, and I was intrigued, and I started reading them, and I realised all sorts of things about the relationship he had with my mother that I hadn't known. And the more I read, the more I realised that it was a story, not just their love story, but also a lot of social history about what it was like during the war. Not just for a pilot, but for people just trying to live their lives amongst the, the worry and the anxieties and the deprivations.
0: Now, famously, the author Christopher Tolkien often talked about clearing out the home of his late father, John Ronald Reuel Tolkien, and discovering an entire garage full of manuscripts and notes, literally packed from floor to ceiling. Uh, And then that material would later become the History of Middle-Earth series. Uh, Now, by discovering your own father's letters, you must have found yourself in a very similar situation, only with writing which was much more personal in nature. How, How did that feel?
1: It was very emotional. Um, I should explain, I had a very good relationship with my parents. I mean, they had a very loving marriage. And I think I was very lucky in having such wonderful parents. And I missed my mum for 20 years and my dad now for nearly four years. And I suppose working on the letters and reading them was part of the grieving process. And it helped me because I could hear their voices. Most of the letters are from my dad, but there were a few from my mum and I could almost hear their voices, and my dad was, although the letters were written when he was very young, he was very articulate, also a very neat writer, um, but he wrote on all sorts of topics, and it gave me an insight into his character at that age, and it was really quite powerful, and I think it helped me work through that process, but I soon realised that it perhaps needed to be shared with more people. It wasn't just for me. There was a story that other people would find interesting and that's when I decided to turn it into a book. I talked to various friends and colleagues and they encouraged me and said, yeah, there is something here. So I went for it.
0: And did you find it was a difficult process selecting which letters to include in the book and which ones to leave out? Um, what kind of criteria did you find yourself using?
1: The first thing I did was to put them into date order. There were over 400 and I separated them out and. I read them all, and then I realised that that was far too many, and I needed probably about a third of them to tell the story. I needed to make sure I covered all the key stages in the relationship and the key stages in the war, and some of them were just kind of boring. You know, they said things like, thank you for your last letter, um, it, it rained again today, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll meet you off the six o'clock train, <laughs> Love so they were not very interesting so a few of them were like that a few of them were repetitious some of them talked about stories which were picked up in later letters and so there was a nice thread other times there was a thread which went nowhere there were lots of letters about a couple called Vera and Charles that I've never heard about I had heard about some of the other people they mentioned but they kept talking about have you heard from Vera is Charles going to meet us and they kept talking about these people But it never went anywhere. I never found out who they were, or if they did meet them, or whatever. And I thought, it's just going to be confusing. So all the letters with Charles and Vera either got dumped, or that paragraph from the letter got deleted. So I don't know that I had actually any criteria, but I wanted to make it interesting. I wanted there to be a flow, and I wanted to make sure that there was a story there, which is why I added some of my own bits, giving a context to each section, and also, in occasions, if I could elaborate on the stories, I would add my own perspective, sometimes from things they told me or things I discovered. When I was reading the letters, I realised that some of these were very personal. It was a young man writing to the lady he loved, and I realised that it might seem a bit too intimate, but I realised I would be able to not include anything which was just too personal. But to be honest, I didn't actually find anything that I felt needed to be excluded. I wanted them to be able to share their, share their love and show that to other people, and there was nothing sordid, and in any case many of them had been seen by a censor. So I felt that, in a sense, I was not breaking any confidential things, because all I had found them, they'd been kept. I kind of felt it was meant to be.
0: Now, your father writes in vivid detail about life in Britain and abroad during the war, did he discuss his wartime experiences with you throughout his life, or were these recollections that he detailed in his letters entirely new to you?
1: I knew some things. I knew he'd travelled to Canada and America, and he had been billeted in the, with a family in Canada who m- remained friends, and they still sent food parcels, right up until I was about five years old, so that was lovely. Um, I knew about his trips to South Africa, but I didn't know any of the details, and I certainly didn't know that he and my mum were not boyfriend and girlfriend from the outset. Because they lived close together I thought they'd been childhood sweethearts and it was a real shock to find that for the first 18 months he loved her and she just wanted to be friends. So that was a real surprise to me. Um, But yes I did know certain stories. I learnt quite a lot about South Africa and I had some of his things that he brought back. I know that when my mum was also called up as a WAF, she and my dad were, for about a year, were at the same camp um, in South Cerny in Gloucestershire. And at one point, when he was up in the air and his undercarriage stuck, Joan, his mum, my mum, happened to be in the control tower and behaved very unprofessionally, rushing around saying, it's Len up there, do something, do something, rather than following the strict protocol. So I knew that story. Um, I knew the story that when they got married and went on their honeymoon for three days in Reading the train was tracked by a doodlebug and they could hear this doodlebug following the train and what happened with the doodle bug is that when it stopped that was when it was going to explode and just at the last minute it veered off and crashed and exploded in the field nearby so they they were actually felt quite lucky by that experience once they were in married, they were able to have um, a sleeping out pass and go and stay in a little um, bed and breakfast place for the weekend. And we always heard the story about the military police and the alarm clock. And my dad was a light sleeper and he was annoyed by this alarm clock because it had a very loud tick, so he put it under a cushion. And they went off for the day on their bikes, came back and the military police were there, accusing him of stealing the alarm clock whereupon he sort of lifted the cushion and made the landlady look rather silly. <laughs> so that was another story. He talked about almost the fun things. He never spoke about the death of his colleagues. He never spoke about the do- the boredom and worry and anxiety that comes across in the letters. So that was all, all new to me.
0: Were there any reflections from your father's letters that surprised you or perhaps revealed aspects of life in wartime Britain or, or even abroad? that you hadn't expected?
1: As I said I was surprised that he had to spend 18 months trying to win her over Um, but of course she did keep his letter so maybe she kind of knew he was going to be the one and it must have been really hard for my mum to get married without her brothers being there. They got married in July 1944 and her eldest brother was a prisoner of war in Germany her other two brothers were in France. so. It must be very strange to have this really important day without key members of the family. So that was, was sad. Um, in terms of reflection, I think there was never any feeling that they wouldn't win the war. Even in the darkest hours when they were fed up and worried and suffering various things, there was never any hint that they wouldn't eventually survive. And I suppose that's a bit like now in the pandemic, although we're going through it, I think we all feel we will come out of it eventually. We don't think it'll be here forever.
0: And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you often find that in uh, oral wartime histories, there was never any inkling um, of the possibility that Britain would lose the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Allies were always assumed to, to emerge triumphant. And I think it said everything about the mindset of people yeah. at the time. yeah. It must feel very unusual to have the entirety of your parents' romance and their eventual marriage immortalised in your father's letters. Did much of his correspondence go missing during the disruption of postal services during the war, or did the majority of his letters manage to survive the conflict?
1: I know that a lot was lost. I know there were several mail ships were sunk and everything went. I know that a couple of times my dad lost his whole kit. So again, if he was carrying letters with him, they would have been gone. And all the letters that he wrote to my mum are fine but the letters that she wrote to him where are they? Um, As I say, unless they got stolen when his kit was stolen um, I've got I think about four air graphs and half a dozen letters and that's the lot from her and yet they were very precious to him but they're not there unless there's another pile somewhere further back in the attic I don't know it's it's really strange and so there are quite a lot missing and of course when they were together in South Cerny for for over a year there were no letters then because they saw each other every day so there's a big gap then but I mean I would love to know what happened because he went to, to America as a friend came back as a friend they were together in this country on different camps for a few months and then he went off to South Africa for 15 months Sometime while they were here, their relationship changed because it was now my darling and clearly they were an item.
0: Let's let's talk for a minute about his time in North America. Um, Now, the letters detail some time that he spent in Canada, um, but also, just as interestingly, um, we have that period where he's in the United States um, during a period, of course, when America was neutral in the war. Uh, That must have been an unusual situation for him.
1: Yes, it is. There was no suggestion in the letters that about the neutrality, and I'm not even sure he would have been particularly aware of it, because they trained together with the the US Air Force. And on one occasion, there was a photograph taken, one of these long photographs with about 50 people in it, and he posted this back to his mother. So there was obviously nothing secret about it, although, as you say, officially they weren't in the war. And they were treated differently the the discipline was to some extent applied unilaterally but he talked about this awful thing of square meals which um, i don't know if you know about that, uh, a punishment that if you had done something naughty you had to eat your meals by um lifting your fork and knife in a up and down fashion sort of forming a square and not going directly to your mouth and somebody would watch you to make sure you did this and this was a punishment inflicted on the americans he found this very strange
0: and then of course later in the war he spent time in South Africa which brought with it an entirely different set of cultural observations that's
1: right um, he loved South Africa and um, he felt guilty because he felt it was almost like being on holiday at times um, they spent quite a lot of time in tents and he had always been a bit of a boy scout so he quite liked that it was lovely and warm there was wildlife he was fascinated by that um, he was learning to fly more planes. He actually got his wings when he was out in South Africa. Um, he, one of his closest friends met was was travelling with him there. So I think he enjoyed it. Um, he was growing in his experience. And I think he felt guilty that life was so good when people back home were suffering.
0: Yes, because that must have um, brought about a kind of sense of contrast for him when he was mm-hmm. um, reassigned to the UK, Um, having seen what the situation was like abroad and obviously being very aware of how the the campaign was going over those years. How do you think that must have felt for him?
1: Yes, I think he found, for a start, he found the weather really bad and the food, because they'd had great food in South Africa, apart from the journey back when the food was abysmal. So I think he really struggled with that. Um, And I think there were lots of frustrations where he was... on a camp and couldn't get off or he had booked a leave to go and visit my mum and then the leave was cancelled at the last minute and or trains didn't run on time so it was petty things but it seemed to be almost frustrations rather than real anxiety about the war and there wasn't that much about in a sense about the enormity of the war and about the number of people being killed maybe they weren't that aware maybe there was um a blackout on that and I know that there were things being done to boost morale and maybe there was a bit of misinformation I'm not sure, I suspect there might have been
0: mm. Yes, because that, that was one of the things that fascinated me actually, was your father's very keen awareness of uh, wartime propaganda, he's sometimes mm. quite critical of the, the heavy handed way that propaganda mm. was, being, yeah. uh, was being manufactured, mm-hmm. um, but also of course that sense of um, bulldog spirit almost, that sense that Britain would pull through, yeah. is, it's a very interesting balance, yeah that's right, yeah. So looking back on the finished book, what lessons do you think we can learn from the positivity of your parents' romance, which triumphed even during the darkest hour of the 20th century?
1: I think it is that bulldog spirit. It is the, the make do and mend and keep going and feeling that there is this light at the end of the tunnel and that you will be successful. And I think, although I didn't find my parents to be particularly re- religious... My dad was quite religious in his letters at times and I think they believed that God was on their side and that they had a, a moral victory and so they would be bound to win because they were doing the right thing. They, they were not the aggressors, they were the defenders and I think that's, that sort of feeling of, of rightness was, was quite important to them. Um, the other thing which occurs to me, thinking about reflection, is that not all the letters were about the war or about what he was going through. There are a lot of times that he was talking about poetry and art and the films he'd seen and literature and and contraception and <laughs> things like that. I mean, the, the details and the amount that he wrote was a quite amazing. And I'm assuming there must be similar letters going in the other direction. I just wish I had the other half of that.
0: Really, I mean, it is a most extraordinary collection of letters because, as you rightly say, they don't just cover the topic of wartime life but also very much a kind of social and cultural history mm-hmm. of, uh, of Britain at a very difficult and rarefied time um, but I think what most readers will be most attuned to will be the, the, the great warmth of the romance which blossoms between your parents and of course the fact that even in spite of the, the backdrop to these letters that there was obviously a very happy ending. Um, So I'm sure everybody will uh, be able to relate to that.
1: Well, well, I hope so. Um, I mean, I I feel quite privileged to have read the letters. And it's interesting that my dad wrote his autobiography about the war in about 1980-something. And to do that, he looked at his old logbooks and he looked at his old photographs. He didn't look at the letters because he'd forgotten about them. And I wonder how different that might have been if he had actually remembered about these letters. Um, The other thing is that he began to, when he was quite old, began to write novels. And for at least half of his novels, he used his experiences from the war to write novels about the war. But based on his experiences, and in some cases, I can see there are real similarities to what happened to him and his his colleagues and his comrades, um, and what's going into the stories, so he used that. Um, but again, there was always this positivity and sense of conscience, and I think that's quite important, and that's come through.
0: Well, thank you very much, gay for having joined us today and telling us a little bit about your book, and also for sharing with us some personal recollections of your father's life, as well as his letters. Uh, Waiting in the Wings is available to buy from all good online retailers and independent booksellers worldwide. Gay, thank you very much for having taken the time today to discuss your book.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening, and I hope that you'll join us again soon. If you'd like to find out more about advertising on the Extremist Publishing podcast, please visit their website at www.extremistpublishing.com for details.